Uh, how's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, we can clap. God's doing some good stuff. <laughs> Nothing like what somebody says. You can do something like five people like, yay! Um, so I'm just trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Uh, when we were worshiping, I felt like the Lord had kind of laid on my heart. Um, we have this unique opportunity this morning. We have children in here with us. And uh, I, sometimes we forget that before ch- kids' church and Sunday school and all that stuff, it used to be everybody just came together. And I want you to hear this. If your kids get noisy, I'm okay with that. Um, kids are not a distraction. They're a welcome blessing. Amen? amen? I just got an amen. And usually the kids are the most talkative. They're like, amen! And, you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, but here's what I felt like the Lord was telling me to do this morning. I actually want to pray a blessing over our children. And so if you are, if you have a little one around you, and I, and I mean any of your kids, I mean maybe you're adult kids, maybe you're a parent here and your kids are like 40, but I'm talking specifically little kids, but what I'd like to do is if you have a kid around you, can we just lay hands on our kids? Um, and if you have your children here, here's what I felt like the Lord was saying is the church is not you and me, the church is the future generation that's here right now. And we need to see the Holy Spirit move in and through our kids now because they are not the future they're here right now and so before we get in I want to pray a blessing specifically because I believe that today might be a moment in which God is going to set apart some young men and women particularly for the calling and ministry in their life and that doesn't necessarily mean being a pastor it could be he's going to raise up the next Billy Graham or Ruth Graham and I, I just felt that the Lord was saying, you need to pray this morning. So can we just, and if you want to, you can extend a hand upward. But if you've got a kid around you, lay hands on your kids. If you, yeah, so if you want to extend a hand with me, for those of you who do not have children laying hands, would you just pray with me? Uh, Holy Spirit, I'm just trying to be obedient. And right now, I just pray your hand of protection upon the children in this room. That, Lord, they are, these are mighty men and women one day who will be men and women, but right now they are mighty warriors for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would begin to stir in them, that you would protect them from the lies of this world, a lie that tells them that one day their future, that they might, they might matter. No, they matter now, Lord. And so, God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to anoint, to bless. And God, we're excited to see all the things that you're doing in Z Kids and Z Youth. And Lord, we do pray for the future of our church, that we would learn from those who are here now. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we know that you have these children in your hands. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. Uh, If you're online watching with us, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, It is such a privilege to be here. Now, I got to tell you, I was really looking forward to the park today, and we kind of ached over the decision and interestingly enough, what started happening right at 10 a.m.? Rain. And so <laughs> thank you, future forecasting of weather. It was great to make that decision. Um, here we are inside the dock, and we have a lot of people here. And I believe God wants to do something this morning and that he's going to use us as an opportunity to break through some stuff. And now we're continuing in this ongoing series that we've been working through. We've been going through... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and doing a multi-series event where we've talked about the Beatitudes. We talked about what it means to be unconvenienced and the blessed life. And now we're getting into a new series called God Is. And it's God Is, and we're going to fill in the blank, but it's talking about each week about God's heart for you and for me, and specifically found 
through a prayer that I guarantee you, even if you aren't a Christian, you've probably heard somewhere the Lord's Prayer. And often when we use the Lord's Prayer, we think of it as just something we say, but there's so much more to the Lord's Prayer. In fact, what it does is if we read it through a specific lens, the lens of the Father's heart, we see a God who is love, in love with us, madly in love with us, who wants to come alongside of us and meet with us, and that He sent His Son for us, and that He gave us the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be, over this summer series, we're going to be looking at these different qualities, characteristics of God's heart demonstrated through the Lord's Prayer. But before we get there, we have to kind of talk about this thing that Jesus addresses in, in Matthew chapter 6 that's a little uncomfortable. And so as we go into it, um, I want to read the text this morning that we're looking at. And if you have your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Uh, it's also in our Zion app. Check this out. If you go to the bottom right-hand corner, there's actually a Bible app in the Zion app. So if you didn't bring your Bibles, you can do it there. If you have your Bibles, that's even better. If you have them, turn with me, Matthew chapter... Six. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, which another word for hypocrite in the, in the ancient world was an actor, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. Now, this sounds like a lot of negative things, and there is some negative stuff, but I want to kind of connect us. There's, there's that immediate, like, don't do this, but... What if Jesus wants us to, instead of focusing on what we're not supposed to do, maybe there's an invitation to something even better. So uh, about 14 years ago, I went skiing for the first time. And uh, so I, I grew up primarily in California. I had a, a, a few stints. One, I lived in Wisconsin when I was a little baby. Don't remember that. Lived in Maine for a couple years. But for the most part, the only snow that I ever saw was inside of a cone. And you put little red and green and purple syrup on it after a t-ball game. That was about the only snow that I was familiar with. And we moved to Minnesota in 2002 and started seeing snow. But I never went skiing because, let's be honest, Midwest doesn't, isn't exactly known for its huge mountains. And so uh, a friend of mine who was a youth pastor at another church said, Hey, I'd love to pay you to come and lead the worship for our junior high ski, re ski retreat, our ski trip. And I'm like, that'd be awesome. I'd love to do that. And he's like, and, and tell you what, we'll cover your skiing. Or if you want to snowboard. And I'm like, cool. So I talked to my wife, and my wife goes, yeah, don't do that. You get hurt way too much. <laughs> and, I, and of course, I went, nuh uh. <laughs> and we got in, she's like, please don't ski. You're going to injure something. I'll be fine. So here I am. I'm learning to ski. And I got to tell you, I'm a natural. Like, I picked up skiing. I was crushing the five to 10 year olds on the bunny hill. <laughs> I was just destroying them, like, yeah, eat it, sucker. You know, I was doing the whole thing. And I'm going down, and it took me about a half an hour to master skiing. That's right, master skier right here. And so I get on, and, and now my buddies were up in northern Minnesota, and we're skiing down, and here's the thing. I, from my mind, cannot fathom the idea that in order to turn, you put all your weight on your back edge, 
in order to turn. Well, I'm going fast. Well, I don't trust myself or the skis. And so all the way down the mountain, every time I do that, I'm just biffing. I'm literally <laughs> falling over. And my buddy's like, Jason, you just got to trust the process. I'm like, uh-uh. I don't want to trust the process. That, that doesn't feel natural. Well, eventually, I tried it, and it worked. I was like, hey, look at that. They didn't teach me this in Bunny Hill School. Like, I didn't know this. And so we're going down and doing my thing. And now I've got it. We're going down, and I see some friends who are by this chalet pole. Or not the chalet, the uh, ski pole. You know what I'm talking about? Giant poles that hold the lifts. And they're just kind of chilling there. So here I am. I, I, I don't trust myself to go fast enough up to them. So I'm just kind of doing my thing. And as I get up to them, the tip of my ski hits a snowdrift. And because I'm not going fast enough, I end up flipping, and my skis stay intact. And I'm laying on the ground, and kind of what came out of me was this. <laughs> and here's the thing. And <laughs> when I'm in pain, my, my defense mechanism for pain is laughter. I laugh a lot when I'm in pain until it's not funny anymore. And so I'm laying on the ground, and it took 45 minutes for ski patrol to come to me because there had been another accident at the exact same time I had been there. So the guy shows up, I'm laying, my knee is killing me, and he looks at me and I'm laughing so hard and the first words out of his mouth were, sir, are you on something? <laughs> and my response is, yeah, Jesus. No, I wish that's what I said. I think I probably said something else that wasn't quite so godly. And, and so he puts me on the ski lift and I gotta tell you, the coolest part about skiing was being on the back of that sled when he was going through, I'm like, dude, this is awesome. I should get hurt more often. And so he takes me to the chalet, and sure enough, what had happened was I tore my ACL. And if you've ever torn an ACL, it's not a super fun experience. And, and when I went later, you know, I, I, didn't, I had to go to the emergency room and do the whole bit there. Well, I go to my doctor eventually back in town in Minnesota, and the doctor says, okay, so you have two options here. The first option is we don't fix the ACL. It's completely torn off. It's gone. But what you can do is you can do a lot of physical therapy and you can strengthen all the muscles around the knee and just wear a knee brace. But here's the deal. It doesn't reconnect what was torn. It's just kind of a, it's a fix to avoid surgery. Or we do surgery. And if surgery, we repair the ACL by either taking something from your thigh, part of the ligament or tendon from your thigh. They did a patella graft on mine. And here's the thing. He's like, but when doing that, that'll fix the tear reconnect what's meant to bring those two bones together to stabilize the knee. And then you have to do physical therapy just to strengthen the fix. Now, my gut reaction was to go, oh, well, I'll just, I'm, I'm a man. I'll just do the physical therapy. I don't need surgery because I don't like surgery. I'd never had surgery to that point. And he's like, okay, you can do that, but I highly recommend you don't. Needless to say, I get the surgery. Now, check this out. There's this Latin word um, that literally means to reconnect, to bind together, to bring back what was torn, to reconnect. The word is relegare. It sounds like Harry Potter. It's pronounced relegare. Okay, for those of you Harry Potter fans out there, you're welcome. My, my family watches way too much Harry Potter. I just got, every time it's on, that's all they'll watch, and I'm just like, I get it, you like Harry. Did someone just say Amen. I don't get an amen for Jesus is doing great things, but we get a Harry Potter, amen, <laughs> preach it, yeah. Um, so this word religare means to reconnect, to, re to bind together, to draw together what was torn apart. And we actually have an English word that is 
founded in this Latin word, and the word is religion. See, what is religion? Religion is man's attempt to reconnect what was lost. When I went to go have my surgery, what was torn is I tore my ACL, thus this ligament that connected my, knee, my leg together, held my knee stabilized, held it intact, was torn apart. I needed to relegare, to bring it together, to bind and to fix, and the only thing that could do it was surgery. Now, here's why I bring this up. We often think of religion as a bad thing. Human religion is man's attempt to try and reconnect with the God we've become disconnected from. That's all that human religion is. Human religion is our desire to want to reconnect with something that we know has been lost. And, and I would say, and I would make an argument, and I think that when we look at the world around us, I think I can prove that this is true. Did you know there are over 4,300 religions in the world? That's not including offshoots and denominations and all the, the splits and stuff. 4,300 religions in the world. And the reason why these religions exist is that there is something inside of humanity that longs to connect with the holy, the divine. Now, we as Christians, and I want you to hear this, if you're visiting with us, we are Christians. We believe Jesus Christ is God in flesh, amen? amen. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in one substance that is God that our minds cannot fathom. If I could fathom God, He would not be God. He would be something of my imagination. We cannot fully fathom an unfathomable God. But humans are longing, longing to reconnect with something that they know has been lost. And this is the part of religion that takes place. You see, we were created with a spiritual hunger and desire for the eternal. You were created to know and have relationship with God. All human beings, it's part of being made in his image. There's this man named King Solomon who lived thousands of years ago. Uh, he was David, King David's son. How many of you have ever heard of King David, right? King David, greatest Jewish king in, in Israel's history. So he had a son. Solomon was at one point considered the wisest man in the world. And he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes, where he explored what it meant to live in the world. And it's not just wisdom like do or do not do this. He tried to experience all of the world's pleasures, everything that the world had to offer, and everything that he looked for end up falling short, except for a desire to know God. He tried drinking and drugs. He tried sex. He tried everything he could, and none of it all of it ended up being meaningless, was his words. But listen to what he writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He, meaning God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now maybe you've been wrestling with faith. Maybe you're standing or sitting in here this morning going, Jason, I don't even know if I believe in God. I don't, I don't know what I believe. But even the fact that you're wrestling through it points to that desire in your heart. When you talk to atheists, and I have several atheists and agnostic friends, atheists are people who say there's absolutely no God. I do not believe in a God. Agnostic is someone saying there might be a God. I just want him to prove it, show himself. 
all of them ultimately are desiring for, to know that there's something else. And here, King Solomon says, where that comes from is this desire for the eternal that is placed inside of every human being. That desire to relegare, to reconnect to religion with God. Now, it would be safe to say that here at Zion, a lot of people here are Christians, and I want you to hear this. You do not have to be a Christian to belong to this church. You do not have to believe to belong. If you're here exploring, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We want you to be a part of our community. We want you to feel like this is a safe place. In fact, I would argue a safe church is a church that allows people to wrestle in those moments of doubt so that they can experience a God who loves them. And so if you're wrestling with doubt, if you're saying, Jason, I don't know where I stand with any of this, that's okay. We love you. We're glad you're here. We hope that you find this to be a safe place because we want to be a safe place for people to have questions to wrestle with doubt and uncertainty. Because here's the thing. I'd love to say I've never wrestled with doubt. I have. In fact, some of the hardest times of my wrestling have been while in ministry. I went through my own crisis of faith. I've had probably two or three crises of faith as a pastor in times where I went, geez, I don't, I don't know, God. I don't, is, this, is this thing real? Are you really worth following? And I'll tell you, as I've wrestled through those things, obviously I've come to the point that I believe it is, otherwise I probably wouldn't be here. But I know that wrestling. But why do we wrestle? We wrestle because inside there is something in all human beings that desires to connect with something bigger than us. Here we go. Um, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. How many 80s and 90s children in here? Come on now. Yeah, uh, 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 that's new kids on the block. I got the right stuff. What's up? It's all good. Please don't go, girl. No, sorry. The younger kids are like, what's new kids on the block? It was actually Backstreet Boys. You don't even know what Backstreet Boys are. Holy cow, what's wrong with this generation? All the older people are like, what? Jackson 5, huh? All right. So I grew up a child of the 80s and 90s. And when I was younger, I would talk to all the grown-ups who would complain about how things have changed from when they were younger. And of course, as a young kid, I was like, what are you talking about? This is, the world's awesome. And now here I am, about to be 46, and I find myself being that complaining adult who's going, I wish things were just like they were. Right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We didn't have social media. You know what social media was when you were a kid? It was called picking up a telephone. It, was a, it wasn't a handheld thing that like, you just kept in your pocket. And I had a rotary dial. And remember those things? And I remember answering machines. Like that's, you wanted to leave a message. It wasn't on Facebook. You had to leave a message. And if you didn't get one, they just forgot to call. Right? It was just a thing. So growing up in the 80s and 90s, I started going to church, going into high school. I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't go to church as a kid. Got saved going into high school. Many of you have heard this story, have heard part of my story. Now, I knew a lot of kids who went to church. They would call themselves religious, and usually they would answer something like this, oh, I'm Lutheran, or I'm Baptist, or I'm Catholic, and that would define them. And here's the thing, now check this out. What we've discovered is that over time, every generation has becoming less and less a part of church. Between 1990 and 2020, church attendance has declined 30%. Now, that doesn't mean 10% a decade. Actually, it kind of went like this. 
From 90 to 2000, it went down about 5%. From 2000 to about 2007, 2008, it went down, let's say, another 5%. And then in the last 10, 12 years, it's declined rapidly. Now, when I talk to a lot of adults, when I was a kid, they were upset that they wished more kids were in church, more people came to church regularly. The problem's only getting worse. But here's the unique thing. Just because people aren't going to church doesn't mean that they're not looking for God. And how do I know this? Because statistics tell us that while people are coming to church less, they're exploring spirituality more. Does that make sense? They're exploring spirituality in different places, and somewhere along the way, the church stopped being the leading voice, the, the best place to connect with God. So people started exploring other things. New Age, Tarot, all the crystals, all those things, people started exploring those. Why? Because they long to connect with the holy. I want to read some statistics for you. And I know statistics can be a little boring, but I hope you'll entertain me for a minute. About 50% of Americans spend some time in meditation or another type of religious discipline. 50%. That means right now in this room, half of you, even if we weren't Christian, half of you are practicing some form of spiritual discipline, meditation, something like that. Over 70% of Americans still say they believe in God or some type of God. 70%, 7 out of 10 Americans. 60% would even still claim that a religious experience should play an important part in a person's life. But here are two stats that for me, as I started looking through them, kind of blew me away. Because what they speak to is the potential, the opportunity for people outside of the walls, which is why I'm so excited about Church in the Park. We have people that are wanting to experience God. And they may never step foot into the doors of Zion, but they'll sit on the outskirts of a park and listen. Check out these two stats. Over 70%, over 70% of people have a sense of wonder about the universe. In other words, they look to the sky, out into the universe, and they see beauty, they see design, they see purpose. Over 60% still engage in a form of prayer. 60% of Americans, remember that the church numbers are declining rapidly. But people are still praying, still believing in God. I'm not saying it's the God of the Bible. Let's be clear. There are people that, that are spiritual. That doesn't mean they believe in Jesus as Lord. They just believe there's something bigger than them. And I think this is important because here's my desire. One of the reasons why I'm a Christian, it's not the only one, but it's a pretty big one, is in my opinion, I believe the Bible provides the best explanation for why people are so hungry, thirsty, craving for reconnection with the divine. I believe that the Bible tells us more. It explains why there's this hunger. I don't believe other books, other sacred texts, if you will, do nearly as good a job. And when I read scripture, here's what I've discovered. Let's go back to my knee injury. See, when I tore my ACL, there was a physical pain that took place. Why? Because there was something that ACL connected my leg together. And when it tore, there was a fracturing, a tear of how things were supposed to be. That's why it hurts so much. That's also why when the ACL is not there, I'm less stable. I find myself suffering, trying to overcompensate. 
The Bible tells us that human beings were created to have a relationship with God. We were created as his image bearers, meaning that when God looked at you, he says, that is good. They are meant to be my representative in the world. They are, we are best the ones inclined to direct people to who God is. Now, here's the thing. My knee was designed to bend this way. The reason why it tore is that it bent in unnatural way. Here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we were all created with a natural bent that was supposed to go towards God. But what we did is we rebelled against that particular bent and said, instead of letting God be God, I want to be God. And in doing so, what happened? Well, when you go in unnatural bent, a tear took place. The Bible calls that tear sin. And all human beings have done it. See, God created us. He is the creator and the king. He created the universe. He created you. He is all-knowing, infinite, and wise. And what we find is the Bible tells us that all human beings ultimately believe they are wiser than God. If you don't believe it, just look at children. Why do most fights happen between children and their parents? Because children want to believe they're little gods. No, no, you don't get to tell me what I get to do. I get to, do, I get to choose what I want to do because I'm my own person. And that, that's a reflection of our kind of willful disobedience, our rebellion, our going against the natural bent of what God has called us to. Does that make sense? And so the Bible points to this and it says, listen, God is the eternal creator. He is king. We are the created. God is supposed to be the center of the universe, of his creation. But you and I, we were created to have this intimate relationship, God, to know, love, and live our life for his pleasure and glory. Listen to what Acts 17, 28 says. For in him, this is Jesus, we live and move and have our being. That's what we're supposed to be. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, Paul writes this. For everything was created by Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. Jesus is our spiritual ACL. Now I promise we're going to get to prayer in a second. That wasn't just a text to randomly be there. I want to look at God's heart, what, what Jesus is talking about when he tells us, when he comes into this issue of prayer, this conversation of prayer. Now remember, there were two options that took place, okay? Option number one for the ACL tear is don't repair the tear, just do a lot of physical therapy. Do deadlifts, squats, leg lifts, build up the muscles around the damage while never actually fixing the problem. How many of you work out? I hate leg day. Leg days are the worst. So one thing we try to do, and this is what human religion is. Human religion is trying to build up everything on our own strength and power while never ever actually fixing the problem. That's what human religion is. Human religion is saying, I don't need God to fix this. I don't need somebody to come in and repair my relationship with God. I can do it myself. I just need to do enough of this. If I just do this enough, if I pray enough, if I meditate enough, if I go to church, if I do spiritual things, if I do good deeds, that'll fix the problem. But it can't. And the reason is, is that only something outside of us can fix a spiritual problem. 
we need surgery. And Jesus is about ready to get into the heart of human religion when it comes to the issue of prayer. Because why do most people pray? Remember, 60% of Americans pray regularly. People often think that in order to fix their relationship with God, they just need to pray. No, the only thing that fixes our relationship with God is Jesus. Prayer is how we communicate. It's how we strengthen that relationship. But all the praying in the world, if you're not talking to the right source, you're not fixing the problem. And so Jesus is going to address a spiritual religious problem when talking about prayer. And this is why I felt it was so important for us to talk about this before we get to anything else, is that we're going to be looking at God's heart in the Lord's prayer. It's not man's prayer, it's God's prayer. It was given to us by Jesus, who was God in flesh. You see, religion is about hoping you've done enough to reconnect with God on your own terms. And sadly, I know way too many Christians who still think that way. When I talk to Christians and I'll say, hey, how do you know you're going to get to heaven? And when somebody who says they're a Christian says, well, I hope I've done enough good things. They've missed the point. The people are like, well, I read my horoscope. I practice, I give to the poor, I do all these good things, and I'm hoping it's enough, I hope I'm connecting. What they're doing is they, it shows their heart, their longing to connect with the divine, but they're trying to do it in their own strength instead of going to the spiritual healer, the surgeon who can come in and fix the problem. And it's, here's the problem, it's so simple, it's difficult. Jesus is coming to deal with us, to deal with that disrepair, that disconnection between us and himself the Father, and the Holy Spirit. One of our staff members, a guy named John Quigley, he's part of our production, he's part of our production and social media. He described it like this. Such a great illustration. It's like trying to connect with somebody, but instead of actually talking to them and going to build a relationship, you just hope to run into them somewhere. So you're like, oh, they go to the grocery store. I'm going to go and hang out at the grocery store. Maybe I'll run into them. When I was in high school, we called this stalking. You know what I'm talking about? You see that cute person, you're like, oh, she's kind of cute. She has fifth period. I'm just going to be accidentally by her locker. Right? Funny meeting you here, right? So that's what human religion is. It's hoping to run into God doing spiritual things. And Jesus actually came to give us a rather simple solution, but that's what makes it so difficult. And here is where we come into the text. You see, Jesus is actually talking to religious Jews, particularly Pharisees, and he's acknowledging that there's something inside of them that they think they're doing the right thing, but they're missing the point. They're missing the divine, they're missing the opportunity, because that's what we do. We often go to the wrong thing. Okay, here we go, Matthew 6, 5. Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, because they love to stand out, and they love to impress people. Here's what happens. Some people think that God is going to judge you by comparison. That if you do more spiritual things, if you look more spiritual than other people, you're somehow going to impress God. And then when you pray, he'll listen. In fact, in Luke, Jesus tells a story about this Pharisee who's standing on the steps and going, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like Dean Hess. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it, Dean. Dean used to be the pastor here. I love Dean. I just couldn't resist. 
Thank you that I'm thank you that I'm not like this tax collector, like this heathen over here, like this pornographer, like this drug addict. Thank you. Lord, thank you for all the wonderful things you've done in me. And yet there's a man, a tax collector, who is standing there beating his chest and saying, God, woe is a sinner like me. Please forgive me. And Jesus says, who do you think stands right before the Lord? Our human nature wants to say, well, the one who looks better, but not in God's heart. God hears the, the prayers of the broken and the contrite, not the proud and the arrogant. Too many Christians use prayer as a weapon in order to look more spiritual than other people. And then we wonder why God doesn't hear their prayers because they're not praying to the right God. They're praying to somebody else. Does that make sense? Jesus then goes on and he says this. Listen, not only don't be like that, now let me tell you who to be like. Now, I, I got to tell you, I'm guilty of this, okay? When, in those, those worst moments of my Christian walk, and I've had them, and some of them have been recent, where I'm not praying, I'm not praying upward, I'm praying side to side. In other words, I'm not talking to God, I'm looking to make sure that the other people around me hear how spiritual I am. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no one wants to say amen to that one. <laughs> and Jesus says, hey, don't, don't do that. You're talking to him, not to the person on either side of you, but isn't that an easy trap to fall into? Such an easy trap to make sure that our, our prayers sound eloquent and beautiful or we move into what I call gossip prayer, where gossip prayer is another way of gossiping, but just couching it in spiritual language. Lord, we just pray for so-and-so because they're dealing with drug addiction. He's cheating on his wife. And we're sharing all these things, but we, we couch it in prayer. But what are we really trying to do is prop ourselves up as somehow holier, better than the other person, and they're missing God's heart. So Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your prayers don't have, have more or less power based on how you stack up to those around you. I want you to hear that. Your power in prayer is found in your relationship with Jesus, not in your spirituality. It comes in that Jesus fixes the problem. That's why we need a Savior. We need a surgeon to come in and repair what was torn. It's not about how much how strong you are, it's about how strong he is. You have a father who loves you, who wants to spend time with you. And then Jesus goes on to say this, and then, not only that, if you want to go into the secret place, into the, the, the closet, the place to pray alone where no one can see you, he then says this, and when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. In the ancient world, People would pray to many gods, but here's the thing. The gods of the ancient world weren't like Yahweh. They weren't like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were, they were more like just impetulant teenagers. And you had to get your god's attention, and so they would literally babble on and on and make noises, hoping that their god would hear them. Sometimes as Christians, we think God doesn't hear us unless we say magic words. Somehow we have to say the right these and thys. You ever heard somebody, they talk normal, but when they pray, they go King, uh, King James, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, wait a second, you don't say these and thys anywhere else, but then they're like, oh Lord, thine power, be glorious thy name. And I'm like, wait, who's the thee and thou? What? I'm, I don't understand these and thou, that's why I don't read the King James. Babbling, just talking to talk doesn't get God's attention, because here's the thing, if you have Jesus, you've already got his attention. My children can be in a room of a thousand kids and I know my children's voice. 
God, because of what Jesus has done, he has reconnected. When you put faith in Jesus, he reconnects you back to the source. Not prayer, not meditation, not all these other activities we do. It's Jesus who comes in and repairs. And so Jesus is saying, no, I think you're missing the point, guys. You, you think that you impress God by being more spiritual? You think that God cares more about you because you say a lot of different things and you try to give his attention? The opportunity is for a relationship with the king. Your heart and relationship are what God gets God's attention, not your words. It's not about saying the right things. It's about being in the right relationship. And this is the heart of God. Lastly, Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 8, don't be like them. Who are the them he's talking about? And how do I make sure I'm not like them? Well, Jesus answers that almost immediately. He says, because your father knows the things you need even before you ask him. It boils down to one truth. Who do you belong to? If you belong to the father... You are a child of the king, but there's only one way to become a child of the king, and that's through Jesus. Remember option one, try and do all the strengthening myself, or option two, have a surgeon come in repair. Jesus came to repair our relationship with the king. Jesus came to reconnect what was lost. You don't, you don't need to keep on pursuing different religions. In Jesus, that's all you need. Faith in Jesus is what brings you home. Faith in Jesus is what reconnects you. But now check this out. Just like when I had my ACL repair, Jesus reconnects. Now the reason why I pray is not to reconnect, but to strengthen what has already been connected. Now I'm praying because I already have the Father's attention. And now when I'm praying, I'm strengthening the relationship. I'm doing the deadlifts, the spiritual deadlifts, the squats, all the physical therapy. Jesus has already made the connection. Now everything else you do is meant to strengthen that connection. You do not have to earn your salvation. It is not about how spiritual you are. It's about how good our God is. And here's why I'm sharing this is this morning, some of you in this room have been chasing after all the other things, trying to do it in your own power, in your own strength. You've been praying, reading books, doing all those things, but you're not doing them from the source. You're doing them to earn something. And I'm here to tell you, you can stop striving. You can rest in knowing that Jesus came to reconnect what was broken. And if that's you this morning, I'm here to tell you, Jesus wants a relationship with you. Jesus not only loves you, he likes you. He wants to know you. But he has to be the one to come in and repair that damage. You cannot do it on your own. And that is so anti-American, isn't it? We want to believe that we can do everything ourselves. And this is why I use the ACL imagery. I could never perform surgery on my own knee. I needed to have a professional, someone who could do what I could not, to come and reconnect what I had torn. Did you catch that? I had to bring somebody in who could do what I could not, even though I was the one who tore it. You have torn your relationship with God. That's what sin does. 
it rips apart relationship. Jesus wants to restore it. And if you haven't done that, this morning I'm going to give you an invitation to come and know the risen Lord, the God who wants to reconnect with you, the God who wants to make it so you no longer have to strive and perform. You simply get to be in the presence of a God who is crazy about you. And if you've walked away from that, there are some of you this week, maybe just this week you forgot, oh yeah, Jesus loves me. Maybe you're, you're just coming back, you're stepping foot into church. I'm here to tell you that it is never too late to run into the arms of a loving father because of what the son has done through the power of the Holy Spirit. God longs to reconnect on his terms, not yours. Because he does the repair. And that's humbling to realize, isn't it? Because so much inside of us wants to believe that I can do enough. I'm here to tell you, you can't. And you don't need to. You don't need to. That is what makes the gospel so hard, is that it's so easy. The gospel is not about what you've done, it's about what he's done and is doing. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to invite the worship team out. Here's what I want to do this morning. See, the reason why we talk about prayer is that prayer is one of those things that we so often misunderstand. Jesus wants to reframe. You don't have to say magic words. You know what? My children, you know what the only word they need to say to get my attention? Daddy. My kids say dad, even when they're asking for the wrong reasons. Oh, what, what, son? My children don't have to compare themselves to my neighbor's kids. They're already my children. Good and bad. They're my kids. They don't need to dance up and down. They already have that relationship. That's what Jesus does. And this morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I believe the Holy Spirit is moving in some people's lives this morning. Maybe you've walked away from faith and God is saying, come back home. Maybe you're wrestling with faith. That's okay. Wrestle. You're wrestling. You can only wrestle with somebody that's there. The fact that you're wrestling means there's something inside of you that still knows and wants to long and belong to a heavenly family that is found in Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you raise your hands. We're going to all pray this prayer together, okay? And here's what I desire. If you have given, if today is the day that you've surrendered your life to Christ, you realize that you cannot fix what is torn, but Jesus can. This is a prayer in which you're confessing that to the Lord. If you've been a Christian for 60 years and you still believe that, we still confess the same truth, amen? The gospel is not just for the non-believer, it's for the person who's faithful. I need the gospel more today now than I did yesterday. And if you want to come back home, today is your day. And here's what I'm praying for, is that from here, my hope was that we would be in the park hearing this, but I believed that maybe the park was going to be a distraction for somebody today. Maybe that's why God had us in here today. Because someone in this room needs to hear this and needs to come home. They need to be fixed with the Father, and that's through Jesus. If you would, would you just repeat after me? And if you don't want to, if you don't believe this, don't pray it. Please don't do it to perform. Do it because you mean it. Okay? Here we go. Heavenly Father, I surrender my life for you. I can only be repaired through you. That disconnection, that longing, that desire to know can only be found in Jesus. Lord, heal me. I confess my sin. 
my brokenness, my need for a Savior. And I surrender all. Heal me, forgive me, restore me. Through the mighty name of Jesus. He is Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. This morning, if you prayed that for the first time, if you are believing that Jesus is your Savior, do me a favor. Afterwards, come and talk to somebody. Go on to the Zion app. There's actually a, hey, I gave my life to Christ. Here's my hope. Become a part of what God is doing here. Let us be the hands and feet of Jesus, of people who are living for the gospel, who are going out because people are seeking. They are looking for hope. And we have it. It's not found in Zion. It's found in Jesus. Amen? Let's come and worship the Lord, and we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. Let's bring these as a gift of worship to the King. Thank you guys so much for being here. Let's come and worship the Lord.
Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.